was one of the best-known evangelists of the 20th century. Many people loved him, some despised him, but no one could ignore the enormous impact of his worldwide ministry. One of his daughters has written a fascinating book about him, his ministry, and her family. Stay tuned for an interview with her. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Our special guest once again this week is Roberta Roberts Potts. She is one of the four children of Oral Roberts and his wife, Evelyn. Last week, we interviewed her about her views concerning Bible prophecy. And if you missed that interview, you can find it on our website at lamblion.com. This week, I'm going to be talking with her about a great new book she has written. It's this book here called My Dad, Oral Roberts. It is one of those books you just don't want to put down once you start reading it. And that's because it is fascinating, insightful, inspirational, and heartwarming. And it's illustrated from start to finish with many, many wonderful photographs. Well, Roberta, welcome back to our program. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming back for a second week. And I just want to start out right up front by saying I loved your book. And I mean that. I I, I got that. I read it. It blessed me. It encouraged me. It built my faith. And uh, I, I tell you, when a book does that, and very few do, it, it is just invaluable. Uh, faith is where I want to start. I had read biographies of your dad before this one. And one of the things that so greatly impressed me was his faith. He, he is a man of incredible faith. And I never realized uh, the extent of his faith until I started reading some of these biographies about him. And you talk about that, of course, in your book, From Beginning to End. And the story of how he began his healing ministry impacted me so greatly that I actually drove to Enid, Oklahoma, where it started. And I went around the town and I photographed where his church was. I photographed the civic auditorium where he held his meeting. And I sent those photographs to him. And I told him, I said, you know, when you started that, it was just small and insignificant. But I said, it reminds me of that passage from Zechariah 4.10, which says, do not despise small things when God is in them. And I sent him the photographs. And he wrote me back. Here's the letter. I still have it to this day, dated October the 28th, 1986, thanking me for sharing that with him. That's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell us the story of faith about how your dad began his healing ministry? Now, he was in the pastorate several years before that, but how he began his healing ministry. Tell us that story. Well, when he was 17, he first heard the voice of God telling him he was to take God's healing power to his generation. But when he was in his 20s, he found himself pastoring a small church. And there's nothing wrong with pastoring a small church if that's what God has called you to do. It's just that he knew that his ministry was to his generation. But he didn't know how. And he didn't know the timing. He knew he was supposed to pray for people, but he just didn't know how. So he made a commitment. He felt impressed of the Lord to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts on his knees three times in a row. By that time... The pain of that on your knees? I don't know how he did it, but he was so desperate to hear from God 
that he was willing to do whatever it took. On his knees reading the gospel in the book of Acts three times. Yes, and, and I think every afternoon he was prostrate, prostrate on the floor as well before the Lord, asking God, when, how, what, what am I supposed to do? And finally, after months and months of seeking God, he heard the Lord speak to him again, saying, from this hour, you will have my healing power, my anointing in your right hand. Well, even then, he still had his doubts as to, you know, how do I do this and so forth. So he went to his church board in Enid, Oklahoma, which is a pretty small town. Oh, yes. And he announced that he was going to have a healing meeting that Sunday afternoon. Well, back then, maybe you think it was real popular, but it, it was people gave lip service to healing services, but they weren't really all that interested. But undaunted, he was going to have this healing meeting and he put out a fleece before the Lord, which is something, you know, you can do from right. the book of Judges that right. Gideon did. And he told the Lord, OK, if this is really real, if this was you speaking to me and I really am going to have your anointing to pray for people, then here are the three things I'm believing for. I'm believing you will give me at least a thousand people in the crowd Sunday afternoon. Now, you have to understand this is Enid, Oklahoma. I don't know how many people there were in the town, but not that many. Not many. No. Plus, there will have to be enough money in the offering to at least cover the costs of, of you know, getting the building and, and so forth. that was $166. Good memory. Very good. <laughs> and, and the third fleece was that someone would be healed and that person would know it. And more importantly, Oral Roberts would know it. However... Dad knew, I guess, how to hedge his bets, if you want to call it that. He still had a little bit of doubt, and so he went to downtown Enid. He applied for and accepted a job selling men's clothing, which was to start the following Monday morning. Well, that Sunday afternoon, he arrived at the auditorium, and there were over a thousand people there. I've lived in Enid. That is a miracle. <laughs> It's absolutely a miracle. And they collected, I think, a dollar or something more That's than right. the, the cost of the meeting. That's right. They collected like $167. And then there was a woman there who had ha whose hand had been unusable for over 30 years. And she was instantly healed. Yeah, she reached out to him and he touched her hand and instantly and, and the place just went crazy. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. And, uh, you know, interestingly, that clothing store in downtown Eden, they lost the best salesman they could have ever hired. There was not a better salesman in the world than Oral Roberts. And from there, he moved almost immediately to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we'll pick up the story from there in just a moment. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and my interview of Oral Roberts' daughter, Roberta Roberts Potts. Roberta, I want to pick up where we left off in talking about your dad's great faith. Another incredible step of faith that he took that a lot of people aren't, aren't really aware of is that he decided to develop a television program. And that was at a time when he really became a pioneer of Christian television, where it was almost impossible to have a religious related television program. There weren't very many channels around. Tell us about that step of faith. Well, by this time, his ministry had really taken off. When people know that somebody's praying for someone to be healed, mm -hmm. and when they hear testimonies, believe me, they show up. The, the, the towns didn't have large enough auditoriums. The hotels didn't have enough rooms for the people who came. 
And Rex Humbard, you may be familiar yes. with him, came to one of Dad's meetings and witnessed the healing line. And he was so impressed by what he saw. He said, Oral, you need to put this on television. Well, honestly, I, I don't know how he convinced the, the major networks to be willing to put those programs on there. Now, it was his partners, people who gave to his ministry, that gave the money so that he could hire the film crews to, to come on. It was very difficult for him to do those services with being filmed mm-hmm. because at least in those days you had to have so many lights right. and it was hot right. to begin with. Oh, yes. It was out in a tent in the yes. summertime. So then when you put the bright lights right on dad, Oh, it, it was really this difficult. this was in the 1950s? In the 1950s. And, you know, I... Before in, cable TV and all. Oh, it yes. three channels. That's exactly right. And, you know, honestly, I believe that that is one of the first reality television programs. <laughs> People had not seen healings. I mean, yeah. that was not something America had seen before. In fact, that was one of Rex Humbard's comments. He said, America needs to see yes. a miracle. And... By the grace of God, he was able to get those on television. It was the most incredible thing. And you can watch some of those programs now, and they still have a power and anointing. Well, not only was it a miracle to be able to get the, one of those three major channels to accept the program. I mean, that's, right. But secondly, the finances that were involved, oh, just oh, incredible, incredible cost. Incredible. God sent the, sent the people, and the people sent in their money. Well, it was an amazing thing, and, and it certainly plowed the ground for the rest of us who are on television today, and I praise God for that. Another great step of faith your dad took was in the establishment of Oral Roberts University. Now, God had spoken to him a long time before that, that That's he was right. going to have both a healing ministry and establish a Christian university. I mean, that was from the beginning that God That's spoke. That's right. That's and, right. and it was, what year was it, was it that he finally moved in the direction of starting a, a, the, the uh, university? Well, it was the early 60s. Okay. That was the time where there was a tremendous upheaval in universities. Oh, yes. Students were... Students were rioting everywhere. Yes. They were burning down administration buildings. And also, I believe one of the factors was the situation that happened with my brother, Ronnie. My older brother, Ronnie, was a true intellectual. Oh, he was a genius. And, And he wanted to go to a highly acclaimed, accredited university. Well, at that time, there was no place like that that was not secular. Right. And so he went to a secular university and had a terrible... And was tormented. Had a terrible and made experience. made fun of him and everything else. Yes, know. yes. And I, I think that played into the timing probably as much as, as anything else. But interestingly, Dad came home one day. He had finally come to the point, this is the time. I, I, I've got to do this. You know, God has been calling me to build, a, build him a university. He comes home. And I can just hear him looking at my mother. My mother was the one, kind of the saver, you know, and my dad was the one who always was ready to spend money for God, you know. And so he comes home and he says, Evelyn, how much money do we have in our savings account? And by the way, the savings account was for the last two children to go to college, including me. <laughs> and and uh, she says, well, Oral, we don't have that much in there. And he said, well, we need to, we need to withdraw that today because we're going to plant a seed and we're going to start a university. I can imagine the look on my mother's face. But he talked her into it. And that was the you seed know, that's money. That's something I noticed in all the books I read that whenever he would call people to make a commitment to a major project, he always made the first commitment. 
He always did. He he, he believed if he didn't... He asked people to do something he wouldn't do. That's exactly right. And it was real. He he would always spend their money. Well, having spent 20 years as a university professor and knowing uh, how difficult it is, first of all, to to get a a university going, and second, to keep it going, and the expense involved, it's just incredible, incredible that he was able to do this without federal grants and all that sort of thing, you know. He had some people who really believed in him. Absolutely. Well, in fact, I would say that's one of the biggest verifications that the healings in his crusades were real because it was those people who many times didn't even believe in education, but they believed in Oral Roberts because they'd been healed. And so they sent their money in to build a university. They and their relatives and then the people who saw the healing sent the money in and they built a university for God. I want to back up for just a moment in time and have you tell us a story that is really fascinating. After your dad had that remarkable healing service in Enid, Oklahoma and moved to Tulsa, he didn't know anybody. He was... He didn't have any money. Uh, A local guy asked him to hold a little tent meeting, and he did that. And then something happened that brought him to worldwide attention, and it was the weirdest thing. God works in strange and mysterious ways. Tell us what that was. He was preaching in Steve Pringle's meeting, and a, a man who I guess had some mental issues began shooting at him. And interestingly... He didn't even come close. He was apparently a very bad shot. <laughs> but the holes were in the tent. <laughs> apparently so. And some, somehow the AP picked it up. And it went all over the country that this preacher down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, by the name of Oral Roberts, had been shot. I don't know if it's a slow news night. I have That's no what, idea. Yeah, you said. I don't know. And then it went all over the world. It I went, mean, people were talking everywhere. about this evangelist that people tried to kill. And suddenly his name was everywhere. And suddenly invitations started coming. God confounds the wise. <laughs> it, it's amazing what God does and how he can use bad things in our lives to do good things. It's just incredible. Well, it really is. You know, one of the things that impressed me about your dad is that he didn't do healings in a tent way back in the secrecy and then bring out somebody and say, okay, they were healed. He had them come right up in front of everybody in a line and laid hands on them and prayed for them in front of everyone, right? Yes. And and you could see the people who were healed. You could see the people who were not healed. It was in your face. You knew one way or the other. And one thing he did over and over, and I, I, I respect him so much for this, was that he never claimed any power of his own. He said, it is not. I'm not the one healing. It is God healing. He is working through me. You've got to understand that. And your focus has got to be on God. Yes. And and there were many famous people who would contact him from all over the country wanting to pay him to come pray for them. Mm -hmm. And he would always explain, no, you don't understand. There's no magic here. (laughs) You have to come to the meeting. You have to hear a sermon about the gospel and about faith. And you have to believe and you have to agree with me in prayer. And then God will use me as I pray for you. But it's got to start with you. If I remember right, they had a system that they developed uh, whereby uh, they had a card or something and a person simply could not be prayed for in the healing light unless they had heard the gospel because people would try to sneak in and not listen to the sermon and get in the healing line. And didn't they have a program like that? He did. And he got he got a lot of criticism for that because people would say, well, I was turned away. Well, it's true. You could not just show up right before the healing line and get in the healing line. You had to have come to an afternoon meeting heard that sermon, get a prayer card. Then you waited until your card was called, which meant you sat through another sermon, 
then you got in the healing line. And dad did that on purpose so that people would understand where healing comes from. It comes from God, never from a person. Yes. Well, I really respect that. And uh, he understood the importance of them hearing the gospel and the impact of that and, and how that would build their faith. Absolutely. To prepare them for uh, the healing time. Exactly. Well, let's come back in a moment and talk about his preaching, okay? All right. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and my interview of Oral Roberts' daughter, Roberta Roberts Potts. Roberta, most people think of your dad as simply a faith healer, and I, I don't want to de-emphasize that. Uh, that's a great gift that God gives people, but that's the only way they think of him, as a faith healer. But he was a great evangelist and preacher, wasn't he? He absolutely was. Tell us about his, his preaching. Well, it was some of the most exciting sermons I've ever heard. And you have to understand, there were many times there, were not, there was not enough room in the auditoriums or the tents where Dad had crusades. So people would stand outside the tents, and they would stand the entire time. And you would think with 10, 12,000 people there, it would be noisy, people would be walking around. But when my dad was preaching... You couldn't hear anything but the sound of his voice. It was compelling. I mean, you might think, well, Roberta, you were just a little girl. You're a loving daughter. But what about all the other thousands of people that were there? It was absolutely compelling. And back then, they had those big, heavy microphones. Oh, yes, yes. And, of course, it had a cord on it. Yes. And he would take it and march around the, the platform doing a Jericho march. I mean, he had such an ability with storytelling. When he gave the account of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He would take that microphone and go around there. And I was always like, oh, he's going to get tripped on that cord. <laughs> he never did, thank God. But you could see those Hebrew young men marching around in that fiery furnace. And he said Jesus was with them. Oh, it was yeah. just amazing. Well, I never realized how great a preacher he was until I went to Oral Roberts University many years ago. And I went into, I, I don't know if it's a museum or what, but there was a room that was set up like you were inside a tent. And, and you sat there, and he came on the screen, and he preached that sermon. Me, about, the fourth man. Yes. And, and I was just enthralled. I just sat there. I was just transfixed. It was, do they still have that there? No. No. Well, that's I, too bad. We, we need to get it back. Boy, you do, because <laughs> it, I, just, I, was, I was enthralled by the whole museum. It was so wonderful. But I really, that's when I first realized what a great preacher he was and how he had a zeal for people's souls as well as oh, yes. for the healing of their physical bodies. Well... Your dad grew up in abject poverty. I mean, just incredible poverty. And you mentioned how this impacted his life. And you mentioned a story about a photograph. And we have that photograph. And we're going to show that photograph while you tell that story. Well, if you look at the photograph, you'll see two young boys. One's got his head up like he is going to change the world. And dressed really nice. Absolutely. The yeah. other little boy is barefooted. He has on overalls, which, by the way, was the nicest outfit my father ever owned growing up. And, and when you take a look at the little boy. He's looking out the ground like he's totally defeated. Absolutely. His head totally down. He stuttered so terribly that everywhere he went, people made fun of him. And it's really ironic when his name was oral, meaning yes, yes. spoken word. Yes. And he would get so nervous he couldn't even say his own name. So when you look at those two little boys who... Who would imagine that God could use the one who had his head down? It's absolutely... It's like Samuel looking at the sons of Jesse and saying, well, wow, this one. Now, nope, 
this Absolutely. one. <laughs> but it, but it, it proves a point to me that if you are willing to hear God's voice and obey, you can do anything that he has called you to do. If God can use that little boy barefooted and overalls, if God could help him to build a major charismatic accredited university, then you and I, we can do anything God has called us. And that abject poverty really impacted him the rest of his life. You you tell a story in your book that just astounded me about how you and your husband came over one day for a backyard barbecue and you had some new overalls that you all had bought and you walked in and, and what happened? He, he was hurt that we would wear those. He said, yeah. well, is that the nicest thing you have? And we thought it was cute. You know, yeah. we didn't. But it, it reminded it, him of his poverty. It reminded him. It was a terrible, it was a terrible time in his life. And also he, he was Cherokee Indian. And yeah. back then it was not positive to be an Indian. It was So here bad. he was poverty stricken, a stammerer who was kidded all the time. And he was an Indian, part Indian. And Indians were just treated like dirt. And so uh, that's a lot of humiliation to deal with. Well, and his own uncle said in his presence that he would never amount to a hill of beans. Apart from his mother, his family thought nothing of him. And yet God, God was interested in him. At about the age of 17, he almost died. Yes. There's a long history of tuberculosis on the Indian side of his family. That's right. And all of them had died. I mean, uh, back then, tuberculosis was a a killer. killer. There there were no miracle drugs. his battle with tuberculosis and how he was healed both of that and of stammering. Well, he, he, was, he was dribbling in a basketball game when he collapsed and his coach took him home. Yeah, they said he was bleeding from the mouth. And he had not accepted Jesus. Well, yeah. back then they really didn't talk that much about healing. They were concerned that he would go to heaven when he died and not hell. They, they didn't understand the things of God that we do today. But he was on that, that bed. He he spit up blood so much that they had to change the wallpaper at least yeah, once. Yeah, he splattered the wallpaper. That's yeah. And basically they had written him off and given him up because so many of the other Robertses had died with with. And I think he knew that. I think he sensed oh, that he, they had just he, given he up did, on him. He did know that. And uh, finally his, his older brother who really, I'm not even sure he knew the Lord at that point, he heard about a man by the name of George Muncy who was preaching nearby. And he borrowed a car and came over to the house and he said, Oral, we're going to take you to that meeting. They somehow got him dressed. He had lost so much weight that his, his suit must have they just... They said they carried him out on a mattress and put did. him in the they, back they of a pickup him truck. Out. And he was, in, he was in the back seat when he heard the voice of God for the very first time. And the Lord said, Son, I am going to heal you and I'm going to raise you up to take my healing power to your generation. That night he was healed not only of the tuberculosis... But the stuttering left from then on. He could speak clearly and perfectly. And he had been in bed for over 160 days. He lost a tremendous amount of weight and blood. In fact, in reading his autobiography, he said that he was confused afterwards because he coughed up all that. He was healed of the tuberculosis, but he said, I was still so weak I could hardly get out of bed. His mom said, well... Honey, you've been in bed 160 days. Your muscles have atrophied. It's going to, and he said it took almost a year for him to really get the strength back. But he was healed of yes. both the tuberculosis and the stammering. And nobody can argue with that. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't be sitting here if it hadn't happened. <laughs> and, and so he had a personal experience of oh, God's my. healing power. Oh, yes. He knew about it. And he was he, and he felt that called, God had called him to take the message of healing power to the world. 
Absolutely. And Absolutely. so that's what he did. Absolutely. I'm so grateful. And, and it was something about his right hand that, uh, you know, he, he talked in, in, in his autobiography, he talked about the fact that it was like electricity would flow yes. through his right hand, not his left hand, but his right hand. And he said that he always went through a period of preparation before he went to a meeting, a very, oh, very yes. focused preparation, oh, prayer yes. and so forth. And that he had told the Lord he would never go unless he felt this electrical feeling in his right hand. And one day it didn't come. It did not come. And he wouldn't go. And the person came to pick him up and he said, I can't go. And, and he was tempted to go anyway. Uh, but he had promised the Lord he never would do it unless it was there. And he waited and he waited and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and finally it came. He ran out, jumped in the car. They took him. By that time they were just concluding the singing service and he got there just in time. But he said from that moment on he never had a problem with it. God was in effect testing him if he really meant it. Is he going to wait and rely on his power or God's power? That's quite a story. It really is. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Tell us quickly about how you went to a, a meeting with him one time when you were about 10 years old. You <laughs> wanted to go so bad. And what happened? <laughs> well, he was a very focused person. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> we, we had communicating doors. My mother had not been able to come, and that's why she didn't really want me to go, but I begged. Just down in Houston, and, I believe uh, it Yes, yes. And uh, so it came time for the meeting. I had my Bible. I was all excited, and I kept pecking on the door, and no one answered. And, and finally, I got the nerve to open the door, and... <clears throat> He was gone. There was no one he, there. he forgot. <laughs> he had forgotten that you were with him. <laughs> well, he had his mind on his sermon. <laughs> but he was so focused. That's that's the way he was. And and I think that's one of the reasons for his success. Because when he prayed for a person, like, there there was no one else in the world except that but person. that one person. He wasn't thinking about his next sermon. He wasn't thinking about the person behind him. He was thinking about that one person and that one person's need. And he prayed for over one and a half million people during his, and during that time, both shoulders broke down from him reaching out and putting his hands on. Yes, but, but he, he, he was proud of that. He was grateful for how the Lord had used him. How old was he when he died? 91. 91. What a great life and what great memories you have. Absolutely. I'm very grateful. (laughs) Well, I'm grateful for you being with us. And uh, I want you to uh, conclude by reading a passage from your book right there. Would you read that for us? A final word to the detractors of my father's accomplishments. Personally, I have made a decision that when I have preached to millions about God's concern for each of us as individuals... When I have broken down both of my shoulders in order to lay my hands on over one million people in a prayer of faith for their healing, and when I have built a major university which has graduated over 25,000 souls trained to bring the gospel into every person's world, then perhaps I will have earned the right to denounce Oral Roberts. That is a very powerful ending. And again, I just can't say enough about your book. But what is important to me is something I mentioned last week in our program, and that is that I think the book reveals more about you than it does about him. And it reveals a person with a Christ-like heart who even when she disagreed with her father and disagreed strongly, she still continued to love him, pray for him, and um, has a great heritage to remember. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Praise God for that. We pray for you, for Oral Roberts University, for great uh, things ahead. And uh, folks, that's our program for this week. Until next week at the same time, hope you'll be back with us. This is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. 
Roberta Potts' new book, My Dad Oral Roberts, is a fascinating, insightful, inspirational, and heartwarming story about her dad, his ministry, and her family. Her dad was a poverty-stricken, stammering boy of Cherokee Indian heritage who nearly died of tuberculosis when he was a teenager. But he grew up to build a television empire, establish a great university, and develop a ministry that had a worldwide impact. The book can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, plus the cost of shipping. To order, call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. The name of the book, once again, is My Dad, Oral Roberts. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 